0: Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to this new episode of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia and I'm joining you on yet another week of, you know, discussions, news and everything. And I have a very special guest with me joining, um, joining me from, and I would want to say Bangalore or Mumbai, but for our, uh, to keep up the mystery, we'll say an undisclosed location in, in India <laughs> is, is our Jagannathan, the editorial director of the Swarajya Magazine. He was previously the editorial head at firstpost.com, has at Forbes India, has worked financial express business today, and, uh, you know, has been a journalist uh, for more than, I'm not going to disclose the number of age, but let's say with a lot of experience, (laughs) decades and decades and um, always, always fantastic to discuss current affairs issues with. So welcome to Mind Podcast, Jaggi. Great to have you here.
1: Thanks, Adit. It's a pleasure for me to be with you also. Hmm. Ha, absolutely.
0: So um, first of all, though, I so when we did this live with you, I think a couple of years ago or something, we got such good feedback and questions asking, when are you going to get Jaggi again? So my apologies to all our listeners that you had to wait two years to listen to <laughs> Jaggi. But, but uh, let me tell you, they are... And, and this is i'm not saying this because we are talking this or something they they are very voracious readers of your columns and stuff and do right to us like when we have informal discussion you know they are used as reference points for many things especially okay. your take on strategic affairs economic affairs and politics uh, so thanks so so you know, to get into sort of the crux of the discussion, we're going to talk about a little bit about the India, China uh, situation. We're going to talk about the economic situation in India in a post COVID world. And finally, we are going to talk about some, you know, some current affairs issues and end with the US elections and Jaggi's take on what he's seeing from India. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, all, all very all very light topics, as you can see, Jaggi, should yeah, be yeah. over in 15 <laughs> minutes.
1: <laughs> we covered the whole world almost.
0: <laughs> oh, covered the whole if, you, uh, if you add up
1: India, China, in US, that's more than uh, uh, <laughs> nearly two thirds of the world.
0: <laughs> Maybe if we do part two of the podcast, we'll have to start with Fiji and Panama, the doing yeah, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So let's get into it about the India, China uh, face off, right? So you had a sort of the prequel to what we're seeing happened a couple of months ago maybe one and a half month ago where there were uh, numerous reports initially that China actually crossed over and stuff near Galwan and then it was refuted by various journalists, army and so forth. And then in the end, there was a sort of a fist fight with barbed wire on A-Hill where there were some Indian casualties and more than 40, I think Chinese casualties, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, but basically that happened. And then now we are having reports where on 29th and 30th of August, there, the uh, Indian forces moved into some territory. So that is sort of the crux. So, what is your take on this, and do you think India and China are headed for a confrontation? Because we see a lot of 1962 uh, memories on merry op ed pages. So, I want you to know, uh, I want your take on that. What is going on with that?
1: Yeah, just uh, briefly on what really happened in uh, mid June. Uh, I think by mid June, what the Chinese had done was in an area where both India and China used to patrol. The Chinese built uh, military fortifications into that. They didn't move into areas controlled by us, Hmm. but in the areas where both of us used to patrol, they basically extended their uh, military uh, presence very strongly Hmm. up to the areas where both of us used to, which means they prevented us from patrolling the joint areas or areas that were not demarcated. Hmm. What so effectively, while it is fair to say that they didn't actually come into our territory, but they did occupy a lot of space that was uh, contested by both sides mm, mm, mm. that is the problem and what happened in uh, and they refused to move back despite so they used talks in order to build up further military installations and support systems right what happened in the uh, 29th and 30th of august was that in was india's military counter mm. in order to see that this chinese ingress is countered militarily and for the long term hmm. what they did was they sort of uh, uh, <coughs> took up the heights along uh, the pangong so lake on the right. southern banks right. so that it prevented the chinese from actually dominated dominating the military landscape Mm-hmm. So that's why the Chinese are actually losing it. They're shouting and screaming like mad. But we have done a tactical move in order to have a bargaining chip. And if there is a chance that talks will work anything, it is this bar- military bargaining chip that will make a difference. Absolutely. And, and pro- yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, go on. Go on.
0: I- I'll let no, you only one off. thing. I think,
1: like every other Indian administration over the last seven decades, even Modi tried to invest in a good relationship with China in order to prevent these kind of things. But the China Chinese again took us for a ride. And it is now a deep realization in the Modi government that this uh, business of trying to trust the Chinese is a wrong move. They only respect strength and that's where we have to build up.
0: And to quote from uh, what uh, Mr. Shaori had written in his China book when he was singing another tune (laughs) that is before 2014. He said deception is an art of a Chinese foreign policy, right? That Chinese foreign policy may to say one thing, do something else has sort of been well accepted since 1962. So I no reason why we shouldn't do the same thing to counter it. Yeah, actually
1: after after uh, May this year, we have been doing that, even though we have been talking. Hmm. We have actually been uh, moving the pieces on the chessboard militarily as well. We have started moving pieces against the Chinese on the trade front. Hmm. So this time they know that we are actually talking uh, real politics, real uh, power uh, game. And we are not just uh, talking, talking, assuming that the Chinese will go back. So, so there are counters being planned.
0: The most fascinating thing I find is that, uh, uh, the thing about what Global Times has been doing that's actually ah. quite interesting because they they have been worried as worried sick almost about what is going on in china yeah so but let that's me huh, but because uh, the, the, normally you i mean global times is the spokesperson unofficial spokesperson of the chinese government what i have seen sort of uh, happening is um, there is some sort of a panic because of the perceived closeness of india to us now um, I have been in United States for almost 13 years. I have to see, I've seen four elections. uh, uh, This is my fourth election that I'm gonna be seeing from the ground. I have never seen India, India or Indian American issues being talked about, talked about as much on a daily basis that I have this time. And China also happens to be, I've never seen the White House press, the president answering questions about India, China in a press conference in an election year. I mean, it happens, but not with the same. So the American angle is also sort of playing into this Chinese uh, sort of thing. So that is the most fascinating.
1: part. See, there are uh, three or four factors that I would, uh, forced or made China that belligerent Mm. right now. Mm. One is of course, the uh, Indo-US, you know, political uh, handshakes that are actually intensifying. Mm. The second thing is, of course, the fact that India has started aggressively building border infrastructure so that China can no longer continue to threaten us uh, indefinitely on the border with their superior infrastructure on the side of Tibet. Uh, Basically, we should talk about Tibet. We should not talk about China because China captured Tibet and uh, they are actually, uh, I don't think we have a border with China. We have a border with Tibet. Okay. And they are doing that. And all our rivers start on the Tibetan plateau. So Tibet is more important to India than China. But China has captured Tibet and they uh, they are worried that our infrastructure is now steadily becoming more and more good. The third factor, of course, is internal. I don't think Z uh, Xi Jinping is as powerful as it made out to be in the Western media. I think he's facing a lot of internal challenges and uh, he, uh, his enemies inside are waiting for him to trip. And if that happens, then they will have a issue. That is the fourth thing. The last thing, of course, is COVID, which is actually the whole world is now uh, battling this thing. Mm. So Z-jumping's Communist Party is thinking that this is the right time to move aggressively on all their fronts. They have done this in Hong Kong. They are threatening Taiwan. They are uh, even have a dispute with tiny Nepal and they have started this against us. You know, So I think they want to tackle all of this. They want to show that they are such macho guys that nobody can take them on. Hmm. So they are so started opening several fronts, which is stupidity actually, but that's what they've done. It just shows that internally they're not as strong as we thought they were.
0: Yeah, and, and they have, China It inherently has a lot of contradictions. I'm going to do a very, very shameless plug for a piece we just published by Haritha Busalla 24 hours ago, where it yeah. said that India has to open up Tibet, has to start talks on Tibet and India must start bringing up Tibet. I mean, for heaven's sake, we have the Dalai Lama living in India, right? And I mean, so what yeah. can, what can be a big, uh, and if we talk about some uh, icon or something that the global media, the world understands the Dalai Lama is one of them. So that is that is there. But you're right about the COVID thing because this time I'm seeing a lot of disgust in the US uh, sort of amongst the American citizens with, the, with respect to China as well. And I don't mean with respect to Chinese people but certainly with the Chinese Communist Party. and. Communism, as you know, is detested in America. Like there are my, my, my joke about it is when you show the communist red flags, there are bigger red flags that go up everywhere across America. <laughs> so so they they view China with a very sort of suspicious lens already, the government. So and this has sort of increased the case because there has been absolutely no transparency at all when it came when it came to COVID. So uh, you're right. But moving forward to, you know, to sort of talk about the strategic affairs to conclude this part of the discussion. What do you think moving forward? What would be India's strategy with respect to China?
1: See, India's strategy will have to be the internal economic and military strengths. Mm -hmm. And there is uh, no other way out of it. It's a long term, medium term process. It's not a short term thing. Mm -hmm. The fact is we have ignored these points for a very long time. Yeah. The second part of the strategy is a strategy of economic denial to China, even at some cost to us, yeah. the Modi government, as you know, banned several uh, scores of apps of Chinese, which make yeah. a lot of money here. Yeah. Slowly there will be a movement of trade away from China. Currently we've gift the Chinese $50 billion in trade uh, surplus every year. This is like financing our own destruction. Okay. <laughs> so this nonsense has to stop. And uh, like America, we have made the same mistake being democracies. We have allowed and allowed talk of free trade to overwhelm us. America gave China a free pass. It is only in the Trump years that America has actually started questioning, have we got anything in return from helping these guys Hmm. against the Russians from the uh, Nixon-Kissinger moves to Mao and today. It's only now they realize that these guys have quietly built their strength at the cost of the rest of the world. Hmm. And India has also realized it. So that is where the point of convergence is between the US and India. But I think ours is a medium to long term thing. First thing is we have to start denying China such a large trade surplus. We have to build the military and we have to, uh, and our military is capable of, it's not the 1962 military. Hmm. It is capable of uh, giving them a bloody nose. That is, they know it. And which is why they are actually moving a lot more troops to confront our thing. And by the way, we have played the Tibet card. Hmm. On August 29th, the guys who actually helped India conquer the heights were Tibetans living in India.
0: Right. The the ITBP folks, right?
1: Yes. No, part no. They're the Special Frontier Force, which is never sorry, been yes, used Special to Frontier.
0: Yeah. Uh, part, yeah. 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 That. Yeah. 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 So, but that, that, you're right. But then, then there is also the ITBP angle, the Indian Tibetan patrol. Yes. Boat, yes correct, correct, so it's, correct. It's, 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 it's very, very interesting, Um, this. So, yeah, I think the, the, it is, it is abundantly clear that the last six months the strategy has completely changed. Now we have to see what, what happens. And uh, one good thing is it has moved from the uh, contours of Twitter. <laughs> so now no longer Twitter conspiracy theories because that's, that's literally how the media discussion started with one uh, analyst going hammer and tongs. And then there is, but I think in conclusion, what you said is very important. That India has to you know India is capable of giving a bloody nose and it has to be a three-pronged strategy in the economic, political and diplomatic and Rajanath Singh meeting uh, the Chinese defense minister is a good step and then I think there are talks that Mr. Jay Shankar might meet his counterpart as well uh, in, in China so let's see you know what happens to that. So uh, thank thanks for those terrific points Jaggi. Now moving the clock a little bit towards home and uh, your um, uh, your your first love or your first writing is economics, right? As, as mm-hmm. what you've done in Financial Express with, uh, and so many things. So I have to ask you this and I'm not going to just, you know, say a random question like will the Indian economy recover? Because economic cycles, as we all know, they do tend to rebound after a certain point of time. Ultimately, are we on the path to recovery or do we need to do some steps in the next few months to get onto the path for recovery?
1: So let me put it this way barring one or two major missteps, like uh, probably demonetization that was uh, made a mistake in the short run, but largely in terms of reforms, this government has been going in the red direction. Unfortunately, the global climate is very, very negative as far as India's growth is concerned. See, unlike 1991 or even say in 2001, after the dot-com crash, Mm. the global um, economy is not supportive of whatever reforms we do in India for the simple reason that uh, 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 the global climate is far more protectionist, far more inward looking in almost every country. Mm. uh, and, And that's the thing. So the second thing is, I think because of the fact that we now have a fairly strong central government. Mm. There is far more resistance at the state level, because a lot of, uh, uh, you know, regional politicians are feeling threatened Mm. by the rise of this new uh, power, right? So our fundamental problems are something that have to do with the fact that we have over 70 years, create an economy that disables business, not enables business, right? That change has not happened. It is happening at the central level. We have improved our ease of business rankings. But ease of doing business is not a Delhi uh, central government affair alone. It has to be done at the state level, at the city level, at the local body level. I mean, a few days back, there was an entrepreneur who tried to set up a shop in Maharashtra. (coughs) And he found that uh, he had to get something like 11, no objection certificates. I mean, this whole nonsense that if I want to set up a company, somebody has a right to object to me, setting up a company and creating jobs is a purely Indian phenomenon. That everybody has a right to stop you from doing what is right. We that, that so have that a, is a, that is a kind a of economy like,
0: where uh, everybody... No, no, go on, go on. I want to, I, I want yeah. to repeat that line after you're done making yeah. your <laughs> no, point. <laughs>
1: So we have a disabling economy because we are given lots of small, small uh, mini uh, uh, authoritarians Mm -hmm. the right to object to somebody who is doing the right thing. If you want to clear the garbage in front of your own house, you'll have to go and get a no objection certificate from the local municipal authorities. I mean, it is, this is the kind of stupidity we have. So what we have created is a parallel economy of people who become enablers only when you bribe them. Hmm. so the noc economy is simply unsustainable hmm. we have to get rid of this nocs basically you have to tell me what is your locus standi in saying i can't do what is right it is you who the onus has to be on the regulator hmm. to say why he at all needs to uh, intervene rather than me saying that i need everybody to say i am okay before i can do anything worthwhile so, so I ridiculous
0: yeah do, do you, uh, because i um, you know, it's it's funny that we have gone from the NSE economy to the noc economy yeah <laughs> during sonia yeah. gandhi you had the nsc which was hindering progress That's right. now the central government right. is trying to create the hurdles but the bureaucrats uh-huh. are asking for noc and <clears throat> i'm not yeah. seeing In our head, we think that bureaucrats are, you know, the top five bureaucrats in some cases. And I'm not saying that in every case, top five are above blame or to be blamed. But this is a whole structure that needs reforms. That what Jaggi said, if you want to open a business in everything is in order, what the hell has someone else the right to say that you need an NOC? I mean, it's such so strange and if you if you compare this to most developing economies i think the ease of doing business there is significantly more than what it is in india so even if reforms take place from the top economic reforms this has to change but in a in a, in a post covid world what has changed is the if I use the word for, uh, you know, a Hindi term like that economy, ki like the industries that define the economy, the Indian economy might we might be changing because the way the global, uh, the world is working is sort of changing post COVID, right? There are certain, especially like when you think about tourism or, you know, those industries like that, those are taking a severe beating. And so in, in some places like India, which is heavily, dip- dip- which are dependent on transportation, aviation, you know, railways and stuff like that. Will the government have to do anything to stimulate those sectors or will they have to wait it out for almost two quarters to, you know, get it back in the uh, green, so to speak.
1: Yeah. See, in the short term, there is no option for, for the government to step in with help, you know, but the long term, that's not a sustainable solution. Right. India has been particularly badly affected by the covid uh, lockdowns, largely because even though the central severity lockdown ended sometime at the end of April and started opening up states le- started imposing even st- worse lockdowns. Yeah. So if you actually see the, the lockdowns have been worst in the three biggest industrial and uh, uh, largest portions of the economy, like first in Maharashtra, then Tamil Nadu. And then also in Gujarat to some Tamil Nadu and Gujarat have started reducing but Maharashtra is still getting worse. Mm-hmm. So Maharashtra is the core of the Indian economy right now. Uh, And uh, uh, luckily, I think Karnataka where I spent most of a lot of uh, the last few months Mm. has been less stupid about this. They have actually opened up from May 1st itself. You know, so they have been less impacted by it. So the fourth pivot that is Gujarat, Tamil Nadu, Maharashtra and Karnataka. The fourth pivot actually started working earlier. Mm. Gujarat and Tamil Nadu are only now beginning to reopen up, but Maharashtra is still not opened up. So till these four key economies open up you are going to get the impact of the slowdown. So we are going to lose yet another quarter. I will see probably very low negative growth or just zero growth from the third quarter. Hmm. From the fourth quarter is when we will see a first, probably zero to plus two kind of growth in this year. So that's where we're going to see growth. But our real problem is actually at the state level and at the municipal level, Hmm. where we do not have the kind of leadership that can really open up the economy. And there's one more thing, the lockdowns have been particularly severe on services sector. Mm. Services, as you know, are high touch sectors where we have genuine fear of people uh, being in close contact with one another, where we use a lot of people uh, to deal with the thing. And that sector is worst affected and is the slowest to recover. Manufacturing and uh, other things are requiring faster.
0: Mm. So interesting points. Yeah, because um, when you talk, so I'm I am familiar with what is going on in Ahmedabad. And so what happened in a lot of places was, and Mumbai, that there were lockdowns, but that, you know, quick testing. I don't think India had the capacity to test that much during the lockdown. And in some cases we weren't testing as much as we should have, right? Uh, So now that has changed in the last two months, but had that happened first, we would have probably been able to isolate better. And that didn't happen. And uh, uh, that's the thing, but I think Ahmedabad and Chennai, I mean, I'm just saying two cities, they seem to be opening up a lot faster than Mumbai is right yeah. now. And when I, and, and the curve, the cases aren't going up as much as well compared to other cities. Like if you look at Delhi and Mumbai, it seems like there is almost a second wave or beginnings of a second wave, but that seems to not have been the case so far in parts of Gujarat and Tamil Nadu.
1: Yeah. We should not rule out the possibility of a second wave in any wave in any part of the country, but I think uh, it took us a lot of time to ramp up testing. Today we are doing about a million tests um, uh, a day, and uh, we probably uh, that's a good level to be. And if we can move it up to about one and a half to two million in the next uh, couple of months, that would be even better because it'll allow the health administration to act faster on narrowing down the areas of spread. Right. See contact tracing and things which has been emphasized a lot is impossible in India for the simple reason that you are a country of 1.4 billion people, right? So and uh, we are typically a touchy-feely kind of people who go and hug everybody in sight and that kind of stuff. And if you see crowded areas, yeah, I mean uh, I was there at the airport the other day, and I mean nobody keeps that uh, one meter distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, you know, so we have this uh, what is called the elbow push rule. <laughs> Where, you know, whenever there's a gap between the guy in front and the guy behind, there's a uh, unconscious tendency to move forward <laughs> and closer to the person in front. And the guy at the back will anywhere push you if you don't do that. <laughs> so I think there is the problem this of physical space being far less in the Indian context than say in America or anywhere else.
0: Yeah. But I can tell you something, being, being in America, I don't think it's any different over here as well. It's, <laughs> it's, it's th- there are places where social distancing is happening, but I, I don't see it much happening. The masks thankfully are still here around because there is yeah. a city law and stuff because Houston was probably as, as badly affected as most of the cities. It, it, it almost had become the one of the worst affected cities. So it was a scary two months for us as well over here. But, um, you know, thankfully, we're all doing fine. So I think that is the challenge that even when this is happening, we cannot lose. Your fingers almost have to be in multiple pies that if you are looking at the COVID, you have to also look at the economy. One cannot be at the cost of others because you can't put a million Indians out of work uh, to, you know, say that we need to test more. It it just, there is some common sense that has to be followed now. Correct. Right. So,
1: yeah, I think that happening now. I think uh, at least at the central government level, they're asking all states to open up as much as possible and and keep the uh, containment zones to as narrow area as possible, including just one house or one floor in a building and that kind of things. I think, uh, I think by first of October, certainly we think 90% of economic activity will return. It's only in some specific service sectors that might be slow. Yeah, that maybe airlines or, uh, you know, movie or your barbershop for like that matter.
0: That. Huh? Yeah. The yeah. like, yeah. so movie theaters, airlines, the luxury ones, yeah. spinners yeah. are those That's I right. can think of. Um, so, so that is where, you know, I'm, I'm wondering to see where we are going to see some pivot points or not. Um, in, because in America, that's what they're facing because the airlines have to open because there are going to be a few flyers anywhere. but they, the, the holiday flyers haven't started. But this weekend is a very crucial weekend for America, which is the Labor Day weekend, the last long weekend of the year. So let's see how uh, that pans out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. Indeed. So um, moving forward to the the, the, the the political part of it, right? And here we come to So we'll talk, we'll talk about the politics of India and US and just your take on it so in us as a, as someone in india when you're looking at the us election and you have a, a biden harris versus trump pence ticket what are what is your take on it like what do you think in terms of india what is india looking at when it looks at the elections
1: see in general actually india has had an easier time diplomatically when the republicans are in power Largely yes. because they tend to be transactional and not so much, uh, you know, not too vociferous, vociferous about uh, esoteric issues. Something like, you know, um, you know, they'll uh, make a big issue of human rights because some one particular state had a lockdown or one particular state has had a mm-hmm. uh, change in status because of Article 370 and all that. Mm-hmm. We expect that the Republicans tend to say, okay, that's your problem mostly. Though they may make noises, but they don't make it life make life difficult for us. So generally, even though the Republicans at a more fundamental level are inimical to India in a sense because they can uh, encompass the entire uh, uh, Bible thumping. Yeah, groups the, far right the missionary uh, group. Yeah, the missionary groups, so who tend to be very anti-India in their fundamental because they see India as a new market for their religion. But at the same time, at the Republican administration level, this is not so apparent. In the case of Democrats, they are the other way around, but the left and the right in America actually uh, combined together when it comes to uh, uh, India and uh, don't leave us to fix our own problems. They want to have a say in everything they say. So I would say from purely from an Indian opponent, Trump would probably be a better option for us, even though he may not be a unifier in America, hmm. but let's see, we will deal with any of them that comes. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I think uh, <laughs> no, but there's please. one more take if you want. Huh? Uh, please. Yes. Go on. No, what, what yeah. is so the, I think uh, the problem is, People talk about polarization in India, but I don't see the kind of polarization in India as I see it in the US. I mean, uh, the way the liberals have let down America is not a thing to have a cancel culture and suddenly think that you have to bring down the statue of Columbus and that everything will be fine. If you bring down 10 statues, it's the most ridiculous kind of liberalism. I've You have to learn to live with history. Indians no, I, are being told that you have to live with Mughal history uh, and now you guys can't live with your own 200 year old history. I mean, what is this uh, wrong? I mean, I mean, this is stupidity. You're at war with yourself <laughs> for over culture, which
0: is not required, actually. No, so there, there are two things. So I, you and I, this time when I was in India at six months ago, we met in Delhi, right? And um, yeah, Delhi had just sworn in another Arvind Kejriwal government. A week, yeah, right. Th- week before I think we met. It was February or something when the Aam Party won the elections. Yeah. Six so months before Modi came to power with a thumping majority with a seven-zero verdict in Delhi. So, in, yeah. in uh, you are seeing people actually giving a two-sided verdict in many places. Yeah. And yeah. I, given the margins in Western Uttar Pradesh, uh, how close it was, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some uh, MLAs voted for, you know, who people who voted for SP vote for BJP in local election or people who vote for BJP vote in SP in local elections. Split verdicts are the no. So if that, and that really isn't an indication of the polarization that I'm seeing here, where i yeah. can tell you there were a few people 2 years ago on republican ticket who are not necessarily hated by the democrats in houston but there was uh, in 2 years ago you you had an option of voting straight party de- republican or straight party democrat so you just press one button and every single democrat on the ticket gets the vote so from from your counselor to your congressman to your mayor everyone so a couple of guys actually lost because people were too lazy to press individual buttons you know, so it's, 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 uh, or some, in some cases, people were just very angry. So uh, if they were angry against Trump, so that is real polarization. Where I find that if you're mad at the Republican in center, you are going to vote for Democrat. Doesn't matter how bad it is. So that is, so, but we were, uh, I was talking, I was doing another podcast this morning with, uh, uh, with Jay Muruga, a psychologist friend of mine in India. And he was looking at the American numbers. And I'll tell you this, when I was simulating a few scenarios, of electoral votes. Right now, I'm looking Biden at 218, Trump at 219 and about 110 undecided. So it is, it is yeah. a just, you know, a, a minefield of what might happen. Um, and the next two months will get uglier, I guess, as we get to the debates uh, uh, portion and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. right. uh-huh. But but I one uh, last thing uh, I want to
1: Real ask. scary stuff is uh, what? what I hear The real scary thing I hear about the U.S. is that if neither side uh, gets a very clear mandate and uh, uh, you have all these issues about postal ballots and uh, uh, the local governor having to declare the results and all that, if it becomes so polarized and partisan, what if you get an indeterminate verdict Hmm. and uh, you actually can't declare the result uh, at the end of November 3rd and uh, it goes into several courts all over the country, then you have a real, real problem.
0: Yeah, and, and then then you have a, even a bigger problem where electoral college. If you win the state, that does not until and until all the electors vote for you, you you haven't won the state. So electoral yeah. college can actually flip their vote from the Democrat to the Republican and things like that. And then yeah. there are a few states yeah. which which split electorals where one district can vote one way yes. and one di- which is like India actually the Lok Sabha right. what we have. So correct. it's correct. <laughs> It, and, you know, there have been American fictional political shows, the American political satire writings in the last two, three years has been up to the point, right? Even if they have to bash, uh-huh. Trump, they do it in a very funny sort of way. Um, uh-huh. where, which has simulated or hypothesized tied verdict. If there is a tide, yeah. work, I tell you, Jaggi, this is, we are probably going to do a 10 hour podcast or something because <laughs> <laughs> it's probably going yeah. to be like a live, live news of what, what's happening and everybody yeah. will have to be running around with their iPhones in their hands doing live videos.
1: Yeah, yeah, correct.
0: But in closure, I'll tell you one thing and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Even if a Biden presidency came to power, I don't think India has something to be afraid of, as in, yeah. we do have enough friends in the Democratic Party to make it, yeah, yeah. but what yeah. India and Indian Americans have to do is make sure the Democrats don't take the support for granted. You have to. Back, right? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Adi. That is the main thing, because for us, neither party is particular. They have to defend American interests, whatever they see right. it as. Our thing is we have to work with either party. We have no problem with the Democrats. If that's what they have to they, they come to power. Yes. Our real worry is that if neither of them come to power and make, uh, if America is at war it, itself, mm-hmm. then that's a real loss for India. Because when you are confronting a China, a Zittler on our uh, borders, then uh, you need an America to be clear headed about where its interests lie. No, you cannot have, uh, America at complete war with itself, and that's yeah. our biggest worry. It's not uh, Trump or Biden. You have
0: given my a uh, very great one-word zitler for uh-huh. the discussion. So the,
1: uh-huh.
0: since we have come a full circle on that, I I want to sort of so we have this tradition on Mind Podcast that we, have serious बात कर so we'll end with something light. Like, so you have to give a non-political, non-recommendation of something you've read, watched you know, something that you've enjoyed during. So any recommendation that you have for our listeners? Well, Uh, I didn't didn't, didn't want, no, I was like, I didn't want Jaggi about this. So please give him a second to think about it. I actually just threw it on him.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, actually it's in contiguity with uh, your own, uh, the previous talk, actually it is not political, but I think there is a very interesting history of, the 11 American nations that actually constitute today's America. Uh Basically it's written by a guy called Colin Woodard Uh and uh, a journalist and an author. And he basically says that just like India has so many regionalities, America actually is, dominated by 11 subcultures that based on European cultures that landed in various parts of mm-hmm. So I thought that was a very interesting understanding. So regardless of whether you're a Republican Democrat, that those 11 nations that constitute the current United States mm-hmm. is actually by much better understanding of America. So it's not political in that sense, but I thought Americans should read that book because I think it makes such a important statement about themselves.
0: Fantastic, fantastic recommendation. I uh, I have a two-part recommendation. One is a, a very interesting Indian show I watched on classical music on Amazon Prime. It's called Bandish Bandits, and ah, yeah. and Shankar Ehsaan Loy have given some of the most fantastic compositions you can see. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah, yeah, correct.
0: And um, <laughs> I have to tell everyone that that one show thankfully has revived interest in classical music in the pop culture on. another scale. So, you know, let this be uh, a thing. And and then uh, in terms of books, I I, I read a a very interesting book right now. Um, uh, Actually, I reread sort of that book uh, on strategic affairs. I was reading Nitin Gokhale's uh, Keeping uh, the Modi Doctrine and what yeah. the, uh, policy have uh, changed because um, for all our viewers who haven't seen when the first chinese issue happened we had Nitin Gokhale as a guest on our podcast and we talked about that so yeah. you know, we, so go back and listen to that podcast and read this book he's he's done some f- phenomenal work on uh,
1: uh, actually yeah. uh, foreign secretary Shankar has written the book i think that promises to be a very good one i'm just uh, acquired it oh yeah uh, i think it's one of the most uh, intellectually Oh, yes it's out it's okay. out it, you can buy it on amazon yeah. and i just bought it started reading it i think he is one of the most erudite foreign ministers india has ever had who understands sport where the rubber hits the road and at, on the intellectual plane i think it's very very unusual but he's got the modi's got the right foreign minister for a change you know
0: something Jagi, and, and i only have one witness so you can choose to complete disregard my theory on the day of counting, uh-huh. I was texting a good friend of mine and we were talking and they were like, yeah, who will be the ministers? Because it was abundantly clear that Sushma will not be a part of the government next time because she hadn't fought elections. And yeah, time. And I was like, I just have a feeling that Modi might just have as Jaisankar as the foreign minister. I just said that, okay. And then 10 days later, he was actually sworn uh-huh. in and he's like, do you have a secret hotline <laughs> that I don't know about? I'm like, no, I just, that was a wish that I had. <laughs> he's a very erudite man and a very, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But thank you so yeah. much, Juggy. You've been very gracious with your time. I hope this was fun, and I hope to yeah, do yeah, another sorry. one with you very soon. Two years uh, later. Not wait two years for another one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Adi. Thank it, so was it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure.
0: Yeah. Thank you so